Can you hear me? Oh, here we go. That sounds so cool. <laughs> All right. Let's quickly just open this thing up. And then we get to the beginning. There we go. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. As Klaus um, said, my name is Matt, and I head up the kids' ministry at Common Ground Constantinburg. And it's just a privilege to be with you this morning. I have a wonderful family, uh, and I'm so grateful to the local authorities that my parents, who are sitting in the audience right now, can be with us. They stay across the Buri Curtain, so sometimes the authorities have to look at visas and stuff like that to allow them uh, to come across. So I'm so grateful that they are here with us this morning. I also have an older brother, and he stays out in the UK, and the past... uh, Uh, holidays that we just had in June, July, we were able to go up to England to go spend some time with him. It was great family bonding time, and also we were able to just create some special memories together. Now, before I get into our passage for today, I want to ask a question. How many of you are a younger sibling? Okay. Few people, few people at the back, maybe some people in the front. Aren't older siblings the worst? Like, honestly, older siblings, can you not just be nicer to your younger siblings? They have feelings. (laughs) I'm only teasing. Older siblings, we love you. And I love my older brother. I absolutely love him. And I feel like as we've gotten older, I feel like we've gotten closer. And we genuinely love spending time together. We found that we actually have a lot in common. But as most brothers do, we fight, we get into conflict. That sounds so civil, guys, we fight, we fight. And the thing is, when we get into these moments of conflict, fighting, we're not thinking about the other person. Oh, I really want my brother to win this. I don't, that, that's not what goes into our minds. What goes into our minds is, I want to win. I don't want this person that I'm arguing with, in this case, my brother, win. And we have two different perspectives. My older brother still sees me as his little brother, so when I try and challenge him, his perspective is, who the flip is this guy? Who do you think you are? Come and challenge me, being the older brother. But my perspective is, I want to show my older brother that I'm not a pushover. I won't allow him to bully me. I won't allow him to tell me what to do. When I have something strong that I want to say, I will say it. But you see, in those moments when we are in conflict, we can so easily forget the big picture. That we're brothers. That we love one another. Because the thing is, when you lose that big picture, Untold damage can happen. Relationships can be hurt. Feelings can be hurt. Tears can be shed. I'm sure each and every single one of you can relate in some way. Maybe with your spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with your in-laws. Maybe it's with your work colleagues. Maybe it's with your boss. But we don't have that problem in the church, eh? (laughs) No, guys. We do. We do. Whenever there is a time when you are doing life 
with another person or a group of people. Conflict is going to come. Tensions are always going to be there. But the question is, why don't we do conflict well? Why don't we handle it? And it can be a number of different reasons for different people, but I feel like the big reasons why we struggle with conflict is because we just don't know what to do. When we have conflict, the second thing is because we're afraid. We're afraid of what could happen if we try and resolve the conflict. We're afraid that we might offend somebody. We're afraid of losing a friendship. But it can also be we just don't have the capacity for this. We just don't want the hassle. Those can be a number of reasons why we don't deal with conflict. But my prayer today, after we go into God's word, that you will walk away with a better understanding of how God wants each and every single one of us to handle conflict. The kind of posture that we should be taking when we have these moments of conflict. So if you have been with us throughout the last number of weeks, feels like a very long time, we've been in the book of James, an incredible book from the Bible that teaches us so, so much wisdom, provides so much practical insight on how to apply faith into every single area of your life. If you were to go back a number of weeks when we were talking about this community that James was writing to, he wants to see this community mature. He wants to see them grow in their faith. He doesn't want them to be just content with the elementary teachings of Christ. He wants to see them mature. He wants them to actually apply everything with regards to their faith, and he wants it to be applied to every area of their life. So last week, Don kicked us off. See what I did there? Kicked us off. We're talking about fighting. <laughs> he kicked us off. And he started us on a three-week journey on how to handle conflict. And last week, he started us in James chapter 4 from verse 1 to 6, where he showed us from James where our conflict arises from. It arises internally. Our internal desires is where our conflict comes from. But today, we're going to be looking at how the truly wise humbles themselves before God during strife or conflict. We all like roadmaps, don't we? We all like roadmaps when we're going on journeys, knowing what we're going to be looking out for before we get to our destination. As we go on our little journey through James chapter four from verse seven to 10, there's a number of things that we're going to notice. The first thing that we're going to notice is the main point that James starts us off with in very first, in verse seven. Then you'll notice in the passage that James gives not only a command, but he gives a promise with that command. So we'll look at the command and a promise at every single one of the different verses. And then finally, I will give us a little bit of application at the end. Why don't I read James chapter four, verse seven to 10, and then I'll pray for us and we'll get stuck into this. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, that's a very good thing. Make sure you have your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter four to verse seven. If you don't have your Bible with you, 
maybe have your phone, swipe there. If you don't have any of those things, we have it on the big screen over there as well. All right. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I want to thank you for this moment. I want to thank you that we have this incredible opportunity to sit under your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be recipients of your word. Thank you for that we have entire access to your entire scriptures, that we don't have just part of it, we have your whole scriptures available to us. We pray, Lord God, as we now spend time looking at what you have to say from this particular passage, we pray, Lord God, that you will teach us Humble us, Lord God, and show us what we need to see this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, the roadmap. The first thing that we're going to notice on our journey is the main point of James chapter 4, verse 7, which is submit to God. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Now, if we were to consider last week's message... We were reminded from James that we are not friends of the world, but we have been brought into friendship with God, an incredible privilege. And this week, we start at the very foundation of how we can be handling conflict well. It all begins with us submitting to God. That's where it starts. The word submit, I'm sure you all know, has many different meanings. Like in one example, the word submit can be you're handing in a piece of work for assessment. So I'm now thinking of guys that are in varsity, handing something in to be marked. But that's not how James is using the word submit, is he? No. What he is using the word submit to mean, he's using it to mean orientate your life to God. Orientate your life to God, which means surrender your way, your authority, your actions, everything to God, His way and His perfect will. Now, if we were to consider conflict, we have a number of volatile emotions. I'll give some examples. Anger. Shame, blame, jealousy. Those kind of emotions are very powerful, very, very powerful. And if we don't do anything about them, they can easily cloud our judgment, can easily cloud our thinking, and can actually lead us to forget that first and foremost, we're children of God that we're first and foremost Christ followers, that we're first and foremost people who've been saved by the grace of God, that we are representatives of Christ, 
that we are living according to the kingdom purposes. Now, if you were to think of it maybe in a different way, think of it like wearing a school blazer. So you'll see it over there. And I actually have my school blazer right over here as well. So we just don't have a picture. We actually have it here as well. And I'm going to put it on. This is going to get a little bit hot, but hopefully it's going to be nice and comfortable. Oh, not too bad. So it's sort of like wearing a school blazer when you represent Christ. So I remember when I was at school, I had a conversation. Well, it wasn't really a conversation. It was mere... The principal was standing on like a big platform addressing us as grade eights and saying to every single one of us, now that you're a part of the school and you're wearing this blazer, you have a name badge and everything like that, you are now our representative. You represent us in the school, but also outside the school. How you act will reflect on us as a school. So you can just imagine, if you were doing something bad outside the school, how would that reflect on the school? Badly. I'm sure you would have something similar in your school. You might have had a school blazer like me. You might have had a jersey. Maybe you had a name badge. But something that would have identified you to the school that you went to. But I hope we all know this that we do not represent a school. We're representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. That's who we're representing. And we need to have that perspective, especially when we are addressing another person who is a believer, when we're in conflict. We need to have that perspective always at the front of our minds, that the person that we're having conflict with, we're on the same team that we're going to be in eternity forever. And if we don't solve this problem now, we're gonna be very awkward in heaven. It's gonna be an awkward situation. One person will be on the one side, the other person will be on the other side. No, we don't wanna to talk to each other. We wanna sort out any unresolved conflict now. And it all begins with submitting to the Lord, trusting Him. But the question though, how do we do that? How do we submit to God? How do we move from the head to the heart? Well, James, again, is incredibly helpful to us. Now, I want to take this moment to say, if you have never read James, I want to really encourage you to go and read James. This is such a rich resource, a gift to us as a church, because what it does, it gives so much application to every single aspect of our lives. It is literally one of the best books, if there's ever a best book in the Bible. I feel like James is a very, very good book to actually spend time in. You'll be richer for it. Now, let's go into what James has to say on how to submit to God. He starts us off with a command, and that is found in verse seven, where he says, resist the devil. And if you go to verse seven, go to the next slide. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil. Now the word resist can be translated as opposing or withstanding. And what James is doing here is he's calling for intentional, deliberate 
self-awareness to what the devil is doing in a particular moment and having the strength to say no. The devil likes to use conflict, especially when he's trying to tempt us. He loves to use it. Because remember, the devil is our enemy. The devil wants us to be divided. He wants the body of Christ to not be united. He doesn't want us to be united to our heavenly father. The devil likes to hurt us. The devil likes to remind us of our sins. He wants to remind us of how we are great and all those kind of things. But he also loves unforgiveness. He loves unresolved conflict. He likes to be a liar to us. And what James, again, is wanting us to say with the simple command is to say no. Resist the devil. If you want to maybe think of it in a different way, think of it like setting up a mousetrap. Now, I'm sure every single one of you knows what a mousetrap is. Maybe you've set up a mousetrap in your home trying to catch rodents. Who likes rodents in their home? Nobody. No one likes rodents in their home. The devil sets these little traps for us, these things called conflict. And the bit of cheese that is on the trap is our sinful desire that we are wanting. And he's trying to edge us on. Come, just come a little bit closer. You're gonna get the cheese. You're not gonna get hurt. Just come and grab it. But nine times out of 10, what happens when a mouse tries to catch cheese? That's what happens with us when we give in to our temptations, when we give in to our selfish desires in conflict. We need to resist the devil. Two guys that are really, really helpful, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, healthily say that there are three ungodly strategies that we would like to employ to satisfy our selfish desires. The one is the win strategy, the winner. This person hates failure, doesn't like to lose, hates discomfort, and hates being out of control. Do you locate yourself there? Are you that kind of person? What about the pleaser? The pleaser is a person who typically needs approval. And this person is quick to agree, quick to agree and has hard time saying no because they fear rejection. What about that strategy? Do you employ that? And then what about the third one, the avoider? This person typically wants approval and likes comfort. What about that? Do you locate yourself there? Now, James is not just giving us a command. He's giving us a promise as well. So he, as much as he says, resist the devil, he gives a promise, and the promise is he will flee from you. Let's go back to verse seven again. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I hope everybody knows that the only way that we can actually flee the devil is with the Lord's help. We, in our own strength, cannot flee the devil. We are not strong enough. But great is our God that he is alongside us 
helping us to resist the devil, helping us to say no to those mouse traps, saying yes to rather doing what God wants us to be doing. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 that says the following. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So James starts us off by saying, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then he goes and gives us a second command. And that second command is to come near to God in devotion and in repentance. Let's look at verse eight and verse nine together. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Coming near to God simply means coming close to him, moving close to him. And we do this through prayer, spending time in his word, meditating on it, for James, this is so practical. Think back to what um, he has said previously on how to apply our faith in different areas of life. Controlling the tongue, caring for the poor, rejecting worldliness. We come near by seeking to live out God's wisdom, becoming more like him, growing in purity and in holiness. There's a good reason that James makes use of the Old Testament in that particular verse, in verse eight. Because back in the Old Testament, there was a thing called the laws of uncleanliness. And what would happen there, if somebody was guilty with regards to that, they would have to go through a ceremonial wash in a mikvah. And what that did was it showcased outward washing. And what it did was it was a symbolic sign of inward purity. James here is showing that it's both our actions and our internal desires that needs to be cleansed. We live in a world that doesn't have a category for sin. Anything goes, anything goes, nothing is sacred. And we get told lies by the world what actually is the chief aim for living? Shallow happiness and fragile peace. That's what we get told is what it's all about. But something to keep in mind, God is more interested in us becoming more like Christ, maturing in our faith, than us achieving worldly shallow happiness and fragile peace. James is wanting us to have a different perspective, one of remorse, one where we are allowing the gospel to do its deep work in each and every single one of us. There's a story about a soap manufacturer and a pastor. And the story goes that the soap manufacturer and the pastor were walking down a street. 
And the soap manufacturer turns to the pastor and says, I see there's a lot of wickedness in the world and there's a lot of wicked people. I don't think the gospel that you're preaching is actually doing any good. At that particular moment, the pastor doesn't say anything until he sees a child, a dirty child, playing in a gutter, making mud pies. Now, parents, you probably will be familiar with this. You might have even seen your children playing in the mud and stuff like that. Quite messy. So the pastor takes the opportunity, sees this little child playing in the mud, and he says to the soap man, I see the soap hasn't done much good either. There's still a lot of dirty places and still a lot of dirty people. The soap man, quite annoyed, says, well, if you don't apply soap, it's not going to do much good. Pastor says, exactly. So it is the exact same with the gospel. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. If you just look at the cross of Christ, that is how serious sin actually is. But great is our God. Great is our God that he looked down on us, sinful humanity, and sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. What grace, what grace, what unmerited kindness has been shown to us. And what James is wanting us to do is he wants us to take our sin seriously. We should mourn the fact that we have sin in our lives. We should not be happy that we have sin. We should mourn that it's in our lives. And we should be going to God for applied cleansing. Paul calls this godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says the following, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads, leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. When you think of your sin, when you think of it and what is currently in you, it's not sin that condemns. One that convicts, convicts you to change your ways and go to God. A key question that we should be asking ourselves is what do I need to be doing in this moment? Where am I falling short in this moment? Because I'm not perfect. Where do I need to repent in this situation? How am I grieving God in this moment? What do I need to do to receive grace from Christ? And then we get the second promise, is that he will come to us if we come near to him. Let's look at the verse again. Come near to God and he will come near to you. My family has a Jack Russell. Her name is Mischief. I know, it's the perfect name for a Jack Russell. They are flipping naughty dogs. This little dog loves being close to my family, sometimes a little bit too close. She'll climb on our chests and she'll put her face right in your eye line just to sort of make her presence known. But the thing is, at nighttime, when we are supposed to be sleeping, early hours of the morning, this little dog will wake us up. Mainly it's my father who will get woken up by this little dog. 
she'll come to him and she'll shake and she'll try and get his attention to wake up because she needs to go outside. And I know this for a fact that she does do this because I've looked after my family's house when they've gone away. And I can be honest with you, it's very annoying. When you're trying to sleep and you have this little animal coming to you and then wake you up to take them outside, it's not fun. Sleep is good. Sleep is very good. I'm sure you parents understand this a little bit better when you have kids who are scared coming in the middle of the night and they're saying, there's a monster in my cupboard, please do something about it. And you're like, oh, I just wanna sleep. But the thing is, talking about my dog, she knows that if she doesn't come to my dad, doesn't come to my mom, doesn't come to me, she's not gonna be let outside. And that's gonna be a big problem. So she comes to us and we come near to her. Don't we see that in the promise? That if we come near to God, he will come near to us. He will come near to us. Despite the fact that we have got so much wrong, God still moves towards us. Still wants to come before, um, come towards us. Something that is unmerited. Tim Keller, a guy who I feel like every single person needs to listen to, and I feel like you guys need to listen to him as well, said the following. It's very, very helpful. The only person who dares wake up a child, um, sorry, someone who, the only person who dares wake up a king, there we go, that's the quote, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access. God will always move towards us, but we need to move towards him. The third command that James gives us is that we must humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The final way that James says that we can submit to God is through us humbling ourselves before God. But what is humility? What is it? C.S. Lewis, another guy that I feel like you must all listen to as well, said the following. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is the posture of our hearts in relation to God and to those that we're doing life with. Humility is the enemy of pride. They're at competition with one another. To be humble is to seek not your own interests or your own rights, but to seek the well-being of another. Humility doesn't mean be passive, don't do anything, step back and just allow things to happen. No, that's not what humility is. Humility is an active step, an active step to see the well-being of another. But at the same time, humility also recognizes limitations, recognizes that when we are in this time of being a conflict with one another, that there are going to be different perspectives. The reality is we're all different. We are going to think differently, but humility takes that and makes the right decision by saying, yeah, we are gonna disagree, but we're on the same team. I've got so much love for you. It doesn't matter if we don't agree on this thing. If you look at the scriptures, you see in Acts, Barnabas and Paul, 
They had an impasse. They had a dispute. But they didn't change the fact that they were still on the same team. They were still proclaiming the great news of Jesus. So what we need to be doing when we think about this idea of humility, we need to ask ourselves, how is this person perceiving me in this moment? Is it a good experience? Is it a bad experience? And a key question, how am I representing Christ in this moment? Think back to the blazer. We are a representative of Christ. How are you representing Christ in that moment when you are at conflict with another person? What happens when we do? The final promise. When we choose the way of humility, God will lift us up. Let's look at verse 10 again. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, growing up, I loved Disney movies, okay? Kids love Disney movies, and I was one of those kids who just loved to watch Disney animated movies. And one of my favorite ones growing up was The Lion King. At the very start of the movie, there's a scene where Rafiki, who's a baboon, he lifts Simba up to, for the whole animal kingdom to see that this is the new king of the Pride Lands. Now, I know baboons are a very dicey topic for us as a church because of what we have experienced in the past, but I hope we all know that we are not lifted up by a mere baboon. <laughs> We're lifted up by the Lord when we choose the way of humility. Luke 18 verse 14 says the following, when we humble ourselves, God gives us grace. Not through anything that we've done, but it's through us giving ourselves completely to him. Some application. As you go into your different situations, you're going to have conflict. So we shouldn't forget what James has said to us in chapter one. We shouldn't forget what he has said, that the trials that we go through are, is in fact an opportunity to demonstrate Christ in us, but also demonstrate the fact that we are maturing as believers. When we stay in the realm of just being comfort and not actually dealing with conflict proactively, we can lead to us just tiptoeing around each other, not actually solving any problems, not coming with a resolution. But when we take the front end step of having these important conversations, but taking the posture of humility, remember, thinking back that you're a representative of Christ, taking that posture of humility, What's going to happen? It's going to lead to deeper unity. It's gonna to lead to deeper unity and stable peace for you, the person that you're in conflict with, and for the community that you get to serve in. So as I begin to land, very, very simply, choose the way of humility. That's the posture that God wants us to have when we go into conflict. Don't forget what James has told us this morning. Don't forget what he has said to us, that we must start by submitting ourselves to God. That's the foundation. Start there. Submit yourselves to God. The next thing that we need to remember 
is that we need to resist the devil. Keep an eye out for those traps that he set up for you. Don't fall into those temptations. Flee from him. Remember that you can come near to God. Come near to him and be reminded that he will draw near to you. He will come near to you. Mourn your sin. Humble yourselves before him. He will lift you up. I'm gonna pray for us. While I'm busy praying, I'm going to invite uh, John, who's going to come and he's going to lead us in a moment of communion. And I feel like this is such an incredible message for us to have communion on. Just talking a little bit about humility. If you think about Christ and what he did, he humbled himself, being fully God, coming down into this world to become fully man. And we are reminded in this incredible passage that if we come near to God, he will come near to us. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord God, I wanna thank you for this moment. I wanna thank you that we have been able to sit under your word. We wanna thank you for what you have been able to share to us from your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are always teaching us and that you are always giving us so much from your word. I pray, Lord God, as we now go into a moment of communion, that you will humble us, Lord God, and I pray that your spirit will just be at work as we spend more time in worship as well. I pray that you just be with John as he leads us in this time. In your name we pray, amen.